Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm your host, David Bloomberg, and with me this week is a special guest co-host who loves David Wright almost as much as our regular co-host. Welcome back, Shannon Gates. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think, is this like a theme you have going? It's like people who love David. I don't know what you're trying to do with that, but (laughs) I know I didn't play with David Wright, but I hope I can kind of get into his head as much as Jess can because, yeah, I think he's really involved in the strategy, so I think we'll be talking a lot about him today as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So uh, for anyone who's wondering, well, where's Jessica? Well, last week we talked about how dedicated she was while recording the podcast on her 40th birthday. But even with that level of dedication, some things are outside of her control. And her work schedule this week was one of them because, uh, you know, she's a prosecutor and crime doesn't pay, but it also doesn't stop for Survivor podcasts. Uh, However, I am very happy to have Shannon back again to uh, talk about this new season. So what do you think so far? The season, it's a weird one for me. Edge of Extinction, Redemption Island, all those types of things, they don't really speak to what I love about the game. You know, the more social and strategic part of the game, that's just what I value the most. Um, I don't want to judge it too soon. Um, I think it's definitely interesting seeing Reem there now with this cliffhanger of like, will Keith take a second chance that he has no idea what it is? It could literally be a ghost island game or just go home. Like, I don't understand why anyone, let alone Keith, I don't think anyone is going to go right when they can go left. But um, yeah, they're definitely trying to start some drama there. So we'll see. Yeah, the the cliffhanger just annoyed me. I, I and it wasn't I wasn't so much upset that it was a cliffhanger. It's that it was a stupid cliffhanger. And you know, there's really only one correct choice. And quite frankly, I don't care what choice he makes. Just <laughs> make it and be done with it. Yeah, I will say that. Like, if anyone is going to quit Edge of Extinction, I do feel like it will be Keith. <laughs> like, he might get there and quit, but like, he's definitely surely going to take the sign that that doesn't even tell them how hard it is. It's not saying like, okay, well, you're going to have to sit there for days. You know, it just, 
It says it could be anything. Like, obviously, you're going to do that. But I feel like, yeah, Keith might quit. But even then, will that be really dramatic? Like, are we all going to be caring so much if Keith raises the sail and goes home? Like, it'll be a footnote, really. Right, right. And, you know, getting back to what you said, and I, I've probably said this at some point on the, the preview podcast, most likely, you know, I'm right there with you, which you know, also may be one reason that uh, you get invited here as a co-host uh, <laughs> to guest, uh, because, yeah, I, I value the, the same things you do. And this idea that someone could come back after being voted out at the merge. OK, that's bad. But if they come back really late in the game as you know, seems to be the case from what we've heard that will annoy me even more. So right now, yeah, I'm okay with the 30 seconds of ream that we've seen on there. I'm just afraid it's going to start eating up more and more time. And then it's going to completely, you know, uh, piss me off when we get to that point and someone does come back, if it just changes up everything. Yeah. Well, I think that's the issue with the twist is when, best case scenario it's like as inoffensive as possible and you don't want it to like affect the game like it's similar with redemption island you know there was some interesting stuff happening in south pacific also with blood versus water and the outcast was back in pearl island there was interesting stuff happening but i think if one of the people who got voted out had come back and won that would have been a really big issue so i think we're all trying to get through it as painlessly as possible just thinking (laughs) show us 30 seconds an episode have you know the person who comes back not win because that would be a travesty. But that's what, you know, if you're trying to make it as little as possible, then what's the point of even having the twist? And I think that's what we're all hoping for the twist is just to make it go away and make it be, you know, have a little impact on the season as possible. Unless, of course, it's David Wright going to Edge of Extinction, coming back and winning. And then I will make like the one exception. That was the one thing, you know, I was like, well, at least I can have a lot of David Wright. But now he's doing so well on his own. I'm like, I don't even need the twist. So, yeah. 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 It's like uh, when uh, Taron Armstrong talks about Big Brother and they throw in a twist that fails and he just revels in it. Ha ha. They, you know, nothing came of this twist because he hates the twists, too. So that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. If the twist amounts to nothing. Great. Maybe they won't bother with it again. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to say, like, just because no one has won from Redemption Island, does that mean it amounts to nothing? Like, it did change the game. And if someone's coming back, you know, halfway through the game, that does change the game. That's one element that obviously has a million ramifications. So it's definitely going to affect the game. Um, yeah, it's just in, in how many ways it will. It's also hard for me to have the returning players. Like, it's it's hard to get to know and even give the newbies a chance. And like, I acknowledge this in myself. You know, I care so much about David. I care so much about Aubrey that it's like, no one can compete with, you know, I've got years of history with these survivor players that I care so much about. It's really hard for me to try and get into the newbies as much. And I'm like working through that because I know I need to give them a chance. And there's some really great personalities there, but I do find that this happens where there's an imbalance, you know, if it's fans versus favorites or whatever, that that tends to happen as well. So that's another issue I'm having with the season that I'm trying to get through. Yeah, and it doesn't help that so much time so far has been focused on the returning players because that's where a lot of the strategic discussions have been, either yeah. one of them driving it or one of them being the target of it. Yeah, but I have to laugh at Jeff Probst. I, I listened, I read his interview on EW the last two weeks and like his whole perception of how returning players do in the game is so wrong. He's talking about how he really respects returning players for coming back with a huge target on their back. And it's like, yeah, but returning players do historically so well 
like in every statistic, you know, like I think seven of nine have made the merge when these, these types of captain seasons, they always had a majority on every half and half season, you know, they, every single season they've made it at least to the final tribal council, which is crazy when there's like two captains compared to, you know, however many newbies. So they tend to do super well. I think, you know, the experience versus keeping them in so you know, to hurt the other tribe and besides Russell, who's an obvious anomaly, they tend to do super well. So Jeff, if you're listening, you're wrong about that. <laughs> well, if he was listening, he'd routinely hear me say he's wrong about so many things. So, uh, yeah, you know, Sorry, you, you fit right in there, too. <laughs> so um, I, I should uh, um, we, we've been talking a while here, but I want to give a reminder for any newer listeners, because we are only at the second episode here, that uh, once we're done with this uh, introductory stuff, we will be going through a set of rules that I originally wrote after the first season of Survivor, and which I've been updating ever since. And anyone who's interested can find the latest version of the rules at robhasawebsite.com slash Survivor38Rules. And, you know, we, we will look at how the person who was voted off did in comparison to those rules using not only what we see on TV, but outside non-spoiler information like web clips on CBS All Access, Twitter press conferences with contestants, interviews with Jeff Probst, which, you know, we can tell him he's wrong. And uh, <laughs> normally contestant interviews, though, we have to go without those this season. Yeah, that's another painful part of Edge of Extinction. I'm, I'm missing the, the exit interviews. It's really changed my Friday. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Uh, well, I think I'm I'm being way too negative in this podcast. This is the first time I've had on the record to talk about Edge of Extinction. I'm super excited about it, super positive about it. And let's talk about why Keith lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do that, uh, so I, I do want to acknowledge that Jessica and I both made a prediction last week. Now, you weren't here to make it, but we figured it would be Wendy going. And I, I did. I, I considered Keith maybe, but nope, we both ended up. Uh, going with Wendy, and well, that that didn't happen. And I think I would have been right there with you, but we'll talk about it and why he's lost. And I think right. with the benefit of hindsight, I'm seeing things that Wendy actually ended up doing right that Keith didn't in this particular group of people. So we'll definitely talk about it. Okay. Well, then, uh, yeah. I mean, I mentioned once already that a lot of the uh, discussion focused around the returning players and. Most of it was about targeting either Kelly or Aubrey, but then at the end, Kelly wasn't the target after all. And, you know, Keith said in a web confessional that this vote would help decide the longevity of his game, uh, to which I would say, well, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, so uh, last week, I emphasized that the reasons for a loss are almost never as obvious as they seem. And, you know, we pointed out why for Reem. Is this week similar or was it indeed pretty obvious? Let's find out as we dig into why Keith lost. Definitely. I mean, yeah, the challenge liability thing is definitely an issue. But I think if someone like Rick or even David Wright was screwing up the challenge, they wouldn't immediately have gone home because they were in that core group. So there was definitely a, a lot of issues we'll have to get to. Right. And, uh, you know, we start right there with the first rule, which is the most important uh, to scheme and plot. Now, Keith seemed to understand the need to do this because last week we saw him jump out of the sinking ship, the USS Ream. And, you know, we know he literally can't swim. But how do you think he did in being able to metaphorically swim in the strategic ocean after bailing out? I mean, I definitely think he was trying, which sounded way more condescending than I intended it to. Um, <laughs> he did turn on Ream, as you said. 
which was a big move, and he gave him that intel. So he was obviously attempting to scheme and plot. I do think there were some issues. Like, he didn't have enough social capital in the game, really, to make any decisions. He wasn't in that core group. Um, even, like, in this episode, you know, he did obviously push Reem and then probably Wendy in front of him for a while in the, in the pecking order, but then that seemed to be his plan. And, and that is, like, you know, anyone but me, but where to from there? Because they're probably not going to win the next challenge, and then it would have been him anyway if they'd gone with Wendy here. So... I do think it was a bit short term. And I think in terms of the people I saw him appealing to, like Chris, we haven't heard a lot from Chris, but Chris doesn't seem to have as much power as someone like a war dog or David Wright or Rick. So they seem really in the middle of things. So maybe he was kind of scheming and plotting with the wrong people as well, which, which kind of stopped him in his tracks. Yeah. You know, David said in a web confessional that he understood Keith's position after the challenge. And if he were Keith, he'd swear loyalty to his allies, beg to be given another chance. And, we saw Keith doing some of those things and but like you said, they were to Chris and he, he told Chris, no matter what point in the game we are in, I'm never turning my back on you, which which is good. But like you said, it wasn't good enough. And I think part of the problem may have been in Keith's plan coming in. He said he wanted to use his age to make people underestimate him, which can work in some situations. But I think this time he needed people to have a higher opinion of him, not a lower one. And yeah, he played the little brother and he got in good with Reem and Wendy, but obviously that, that didn't help him being in with those two. It almost worked to play the same card with Chris, but like you said, it, ju it, it just didn't make it. And I think it's interesting to look at Josh's article about pregame opinions in the Hollywood reporter both Reem and Wendy already had an affinity for Keith with Reem calling him adorable. <laughs> and even Chris had said that Keith was someone he would like to align with, noting that he seemed a little bit gullible and he'd love it if Keith was a pawn in his game. So it almost seems like those were set up in Ponderosa before they even got there. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about wanting to be underestimated is you need to be the type of player who requires being underestimated, like Joey Amazing <laughs> or Chris or, you know, even like a Michael Yoga type could have tried to use that to be underestimated. Like if anything, like Keith needs to be overestimated, like right. he needs to offer them something rather than just downplaying it because he's already coming in as a challenge liability, as a bit of a social outcast. Like he doesn't need to like play down on that. Um, yeah. And, and in terms of the relationships he had, you know, if he is appealing to Chris because that just seems to be his natural point of connection, like, I, I feel bad for him that he didn't have the relationships he needed to make those moves. But, like, all I know of Chris so far is that he didn't want Keith to go and that he failed in that. So I just don't think that he was really the right person to be appealing to. Um, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I think that, yeah, Wardog obviously has a ton of influence. Right. I think David would have been a better one to go to, even to try and join like a Kelly Wentworth contingent. At least there's some power there. I kind of feel like Chris was just kind of floating and doing well in challenges. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that he is a bit of a social outcast. And I think part of the problem is that he came in giving himself too much credit in terms of I don't think he knew that he would be in that position, which is why he wanted to be underestimated. He he was giving himself all this credit for his life experiences. Yeah. And, you know, several other players said it in the game as well in pregame. Uh, Rick said, it seems like the game might already be a bit bigger than him. And, you know, a couple of people not on his tribe still came up with good things. Julie said he seemed very young to her. And Aurora continued with her dead on reads by saying, 
Honestly, I think he's too nice for this game. He's just walking around smiling constantly. I'm worried this game is going to crush him. I don't think he's ready to come and play. And you had someone like the war dog who was able to use his own experiences, which are far, far greater than Keith's to help in his strategizing. And yeah, even someone like Chris who wanted to keep Keith, well, he wasn't doing it because, you know, out of the goodness of his heart or out of loyalty, he was doing it just to use him. So, you know, once that turned on Chris, well, Chris wasn't going to risk his own position, whatever position that may be at this point, just to keep Keith around. Yeah, I mean, he did seem like he was willing to be pretty ruthless, as we said, voted out his mom last week. And this week, I think he also voted for Wendy, who said in a web confessional that she trusts him like 110%. So he was basically willing to do anything. We'll talk about this in the next rule, I think. But yeah, didn't have the social capital, didn't have any of that to actually make moves happen. And yeah, I think that he he didn't jive with this group. You know, if he was a 19-year-old and kind of young coming into something like the Millennials Tribe, it might have worked out a little bit. I don't know. I kind of don't see him fitting into the cool kids there either. But like mm-hmm. this group is a pretty experienced group. You know, War Dog's life experience is crazy. And then there's players who've played multiple times. And, you know, there's just you know, Rick. He has a couple of kids. He's news. Like, there's, there's a lot there. Um, and I just don't think it was his group. So I can see why he was kind of ostracized from the beginning. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you mentioned the second rule, so let's go ahead and move into that because it tells players they need to avoid scheming and plotting too much and backstabbing too soon. And I guess one question that immediately comes up is whether Keith should have bailed on Reem so quickly last vote or if that just set him up for this vote. Now, my answer would be it didn't matter. Uh, He was already seen as part of that threesome and flipping gave him the possibility of sticking around this time. uh, Maybe like you said, it may have just pushed it off one vote. Um, But so if he hadn't flipped last time, maybe it would have been more clear cut. Like they wouldn't have even been talking about it. But other than that, I don't think it really impacted anything. For me, I do believe that it impacted and it's a bit of a controversial opinion because I know that nine times out of 10, just objectively for giving advice to a player to go out and we're saying there's a sinking ship or in Australia, as we'd say a drowning cat, we'd be like, just let it go. Right. <laughs> I hate that analogy, by the way, which Jericho did in Australian survivor. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I would jump in a volcano to save my cat, but in survivor, Ugh. you're supposed to let the cat go. Um, and so objectively, I think we were all kind of saying that Keith had done the right thing last week. He won the fishy and, you know, you and Jessica, I think because of that and because Wendy stuck with Reem against all logic, you had her as your next boot. But Survivor is tricky in that it's really just based on the people you're playing with. And when I look at why Wendy might have been helped out here, yes, she did better in the challenge than Keith. But also I look at a player like David Wright and his success in Millennials vs. Gen X was largely based on players who treated him with illogical loyalty. Like literally, you know, as Jessica would say, went to rocks for his cause or kept him around so much longer than they should have. And I think, and he even said in the episode, he wants a player like Wendy, if he can, you know, use that the way that she stuck with Reem against all rational thought, 
she can do that for him. He kind of wants her around. So I feel like he was advocating for her in a way no one was really advocating for Keith or maybe Chris. But as I said, I don't think he has the pull. And Wendy kind of wasn't part of the conversation after a while. I think the challenge, you know, the challenge performance from her against Keith did help. But I do think that it's like, well, what was Keith offering at a point? You know, Wentworth is a shield. She has challenge performance. Wendy's better at challenges. And also at least has some sort of like aggressive loyalty that maybe they can harness or maybe someone like David Wright can harness to do well in the game. Whereas Keith, he turned on Reem. They didn't need his vote. He became the seventh of nine votes. They could have split votes without him, like completely irrelevant. I think it might've looked a little bit self-serving, like pretty obviously schemey. And, you know, while it was a logical thing to do, I think it just showed that while he was loyal to the core group, he's a less loyal person in general, which is not what people like David Wright want. Yeah, absolutely. I I do think, it is interesting that something that we criticized Wendy for last week could actually end up helping her. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about Survivor is that that seems so stupid, but there was a couple of things. I'm like, why would you stick with someone who's not going to be on the jury? And like now with Reem and Hedge of Extinction, we don't know. So Survivor is funny like that as well. But also, yeah, it, it, it has helped players so many times to just let go of your ally, vote, vote them out. You know, winners have done it. it. It's part of Survivor history. But I do think just with this, subsession of players i think they're kind of looking at what players can offer them even if those things are threatening in and of itself like kelly wentworth is literally a threat but that can help them in ways that maybe she's a shield so it's kind of turning around that really powerful or aggressive game move in a way that can help you and Keith's game was pretty weak in that you know he would just let his allies go or whatever like there was nothing super strong there that he could really offer the group and when he's coming to chris and saying I'll be so loyal to you. I'll vote with you through anything. It's like, well, actions speak louder than words. And the first two votes, he voted for Reem and Wendy, who were originally his two closest allies. So it's pretty hard to trust when someone immediately turns on the people they were like instantly close to in the game. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that Wendy still didn't vote against uh, Keith this time. And and, uh, I know we didn't officially see it, but there was some uh, some sleuthing done and uh, uh, credit to uh, Jeff Pittman of True Dork Times, who uh, compared handwriting to find out who, you know, what vote went where. And it, it appears that Wendy's vote went for Kelly. So you know, my initial thought was that she knew which way the votes were going again, but once again refused to vote against her friend. But then she said in the web confessional that people came to her with the idea of voting Kelly. So, you know, we don't know the timing of that confessional. It's possible she was tricked, which does not bode well for her if, if that's the case. So I hope that it was just a case where she was told that, then it flipped over and they told her Keith and she said, well, just like I couldn't vote Reem, I can't vote Keith either. Yeah, I mean, and he voted for her, which is, I think shows the difference in the players. And usually right. we would say that Keith is right. But I just think with these these types of players, you know, if Wendy can connect with David and if she can somehow make it a bit further... That's exactly the type of player that David wants. Someone who, you know, if she connects to you if, and she won't vote for you, even if it's getting to six, seven, five, like the type of votes where you should really be getting rid of someone like David, right? Like that's why he's seeing it. He said it's worth more than money in the game. And I think that he's going to try and protect her if he can. Yeah, I agree. All right. I think we can move on to the third rule, which talks about being flexible. How do you think Keith did here? Well, he was flexible in that he did let the drowning cat go. Um, and that, as we've said, may have actually hurt him. But beyond that, I do think that the you know initial social issues didn't really give him enough options for flexibility. And he was kind of boxed in from the moment he stepped on the beach. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he made a go at it, but 
yeah, he there he just wasn't enough. Yeah. I felt so bad so, for him as well because he seems like an absolute sweetheart and just as you know, it just seemed like he was completely out of options and there was just nothing. And yeah, I mean, I won't feel that bad for him if he quits rather than, you know, going to this really, really <laughs> vague thing that you can get back in the game. But I do feel bad that sometimes it's just not your season. You just don't connect with the people and Survivor can be like high school and he just didn't fit in. So I feel so bad for him. Yeah. And there is there is not that this has to do with the third rule, but, you know, there is this contingent of people who I have seen talking about you know, just stop having 19 year olds on. They're not going to cut it. And well, I mean, you could say the same thing about uh, stop having cranky people on because they're just going to argue with people and and get voted out. But I don't know that we can say stop having all 19 year olds. But on the other hand, yeah, it does kind of, in some ways, you feel a little bit bad saying you did this wrong, you did that wrong. And, you know, he's young. Yeah. But I do feel like he's like the only teenager who didn't make the merge, at least recently, like Will, Michael Yerga, Brandon Hans was a uh, teenager, Julia, like there's so many people who did really well. So Yeah, Jessica last season, I think, was also the second voted out. Oh, yeah. Well, she, oh, yeah, so, she said she was 21. I literally forgot she existed right. as a person until you just said that. So, yes, yes. Okay, well, that, but she was playing hard, you know, so they went for different reasons. And I, right. don't, I don't think you can say that, but I do see... It's really interesting to have a lot of people in the season with so much life experience and at least have a little bit of variation um, is great as well. Yeah, I agree. So we can move on to the fourth rule, which tells players not to let their emotions control them. And again, you know, as we discussed, I think he did the right thing, or at least normally it would have been the right thing by going against Reem in the first vote, even though they had clearly connected and, you know, she had even tried teaching him how to swim better. Uh, So, but with that said, I, I don't necessarily think it was a contributing factor to him getting voted out, but you made a good case that it could have been because he was, you know, shown to be disloyal. So, but in this case, I I guess I would say his emotions were not the cause. It was what you had already talked about. Yeah. I mean, I think he was like almost more emotionless than we would have thought. And the fact that Wendy trusted him so much and there was so much like love given to him by Wendy and Reem. And those were his two votes. Like he was, a little bit, you know, reckless. Like it was amazing. So yeah, I wouldn't say he was too emotional. Yeah. So we can quickly go to the fifth rule, which discusses how players have to pretend to be nice and play the social game. And I mean, we've already talked about it a little bit. I don't think Keith really had to pretend to be nice because he just seems to be a nice kid. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, he seems super nice. And I don't think anyone would come out of it saying that they don't like him or anything like that. I think it just was those social issues. And, you know, I do think, Obviously, the challenge liability thing, it's a real thing. You know, Manu seemed to really not want to go back to tribal. They seem very concerned about being down in numbers, you know, at a swap or a merge and making the other tribe. They want them to go to tribal so that they fracture a bit. Um, So they definitely want to win. Um, I don't think it's going to help unless Joey Mazing gets put onto their tribe because he tends to win challenges. Um, So I think that is a thing. But I do think that if someone in that core six or at least, you know, the main people like Wardog and David and Rick, were screwing up a challenge, it wouldn't just immediately be like, you're out. You know, Keith was on the outside anyway, and he was not doing well in the challenges. It was kind of like, well, why not, you know? Right, right. And, um, yeah, I think we can discuss a little bit more of the uh, challenge things, both as we come into Rule 6 and then in Appendix A, because, you know, Rule 6 warns players they can't be too much of a threat. And while there are certainly threats on this tribe, for now, those threats are sticking together, if somewhat loosely and by necessity. 
But Keith was a threat in a different way. And that way is what you mentioned is him continuing to be there threatened to cause the tribe to lose another challenge, which would mean another vote and further loss of numbers. Rick said in a web confessional that losing a third time, well, he said it would suck, basically, and they can't get weaker and lose again. If Kama doesn't go to tribal council, they never vote. They don't get any fractures because not everyone will be on the same page, which would happen if there were a vote. Uh, Chris said something similar. Yeah, you know, in his own web confessional that this game is about numbers and if they keep losing, it could affect his whole game going forward. Yeah, I do think if tribes don't go to tribal, sometimes it works the opposite way where they come become right. super combustible. Like you see that in tribes like Tandang, for example, who don't go to tribal till the merge and then completely, you know, destroy each other. But yeah, I mean, I don't blame them for not wanting to go back to a tribal to losing to Joey Amazing over and over again. Obviously, they they want to fix that. And I do think that in this like post postmodern game, those threatening things do come around to be advantageous again. And it works for, you know, Wetworth being a threat, then being a shield, and Wendy being, you know, aggressively loyal. It works for both of those things. And I do think it's interesting that while there were subsections of the tribe, you know, quite aggressively going after Wentworth and then quite aggressively going after Wendy at the beginning of the episode, I do think Keith was like a pretty reliable safe pick as like a second option for everyone. So, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. some people, their first pick would have been Wentworth and their first pick would have been Wendy, but at least everyone could kind of agree on Keith, except Wendy, obviously. So I think that that made made a lot of sense. And and yeah, I mean, I don't know if he should have stepped up for the ring toss, but people seem pretty upset in secret scenes that A, the swimming was bad and B, they think that he kind of wasn't even like trying to pick up the snake. And I think just that like lack of perceived effort kind of offended them as well. So yeah, I don't see how he was going to make it out of the void. Yeah. And, you know, with, Let's quickly do rule seven, uh, because I don't think there's much to say here because it talks about, you know, idols and advantages. And yeah, there was a lot of idol hunting in this episode. I don't particularly remember him being involved in it. I would presume that he was looking. Yeah. Do you remember anything in particular? Um, I don't remember him looking. At, I'm sure he was, though. Like whether we yeah. saw it or not, I'm sure he was looking for it. It's, it, it's right. difficult. But I will say it's amazing that Lauren found it. I tweeted this on a tribe with mostly men two of whom are bald, with David and Kelly right there. Like, yes. her odds would have been the lowest of anyone. And it's amazing that she found it. Yes, yes. And I loved her little evil genius thing after she buried it, too. Mm, I hope that doesn't wash away, though, with the tide. Yeah, I know. I thought about that. I was hope- what I'm hoping is that was a, just a temporary hiding spot until... Because everybody was out looking, and everybody knew that she was out looking, I would guess. So she probably wanted to just put it somewhere temporarily until the heat was off. Yeah, That's and this my is an issue with women idol hunting. We don't have pockets, so you had nowhere to put the idol rather than just wear it around her neck. So if it gets washed away, it's sexism. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so we could go into Appendix A. Now, this appendix is about the rest of the tribe and how they should vote and, you know, keeping the end goal in mind. And of course, a big part is that the tribe should, whenever possible, vote out the weak, then the strong, then the weak, then the strong. Now, Jeff Probst asked a tribal council if it is fair to say this early that you have to keep the tribe stronger. And the answer is, of course, yes. Yes, Jeff, it is. This is exactly the time of game when it's the most important Last week, I quoted Chris and talked about how calling someone weak doesn't necessarily mean only weak in challenges, but can mean causing problems around camp. But this week, it's much more straightforward because this week, weak 
equals being terrible at challenges. And that's the only way to describe it. You know, he said in a web confessional that he was excited going into the challenge and he thought he'd do better in the ring toss and the swimming. And afterwards, he thought, well, maybe it was because uh, I was swimming in shoes. And it, yeah, yeah, Keith, I'm sure that's what it was. And that you're really bad at swimming. And he, he came up with some other reasons. And I've actually been debating some of these reasons with some people on Twitter. Uh, he said that swimming in a pool is different from the ocean and that he practiced a lot and he did well in the pool. And yes, the first part is true to an extent. You don't have waves you know, with salt water in, in the pool. And we can all then take the second part for what it's worth. You know, did he really do well in a pool? Like he says, because his swimming did not look like it would be particularly effective no matter where it was. And, but I guess his reasoning was he took in one mouthful of salt water and it was all downhill from there. I guess it's possible the waves simply were too much for him to handle. And after, you know, getting a gulp, he didn't want to put his head down again. Yeah. I mean, it's so hot. I think as Steven said on know it it's like how much time do you have between casting and going out on the show? I mean, how long does it take people to swim? I honestly don't know, like to learn to swim. Um, I've been swimming my whole life and I honestly don't know how I would do in that ocean. Like with the pressure of a challenge, it's, it's really tough. And you know, he obviously tried to learn and now he has a lot of time to learn if he chooses to go to Edge of Extinction <laughs> with Reem there to teach him. And that might be like a fun little su- subplot we can see 30 seconds of every week. But I think I think it's really tough. And he said, you know, in some pre-season stuff that he would have been really good on the puzzles. We didn't really get that opportunity here if he could have just been on the puzzle and not had to go out into the water. So it really wasn't his challenge and he didn't get to show what he could offer. And I think that is why I tried to step up on the ring toss, even though Chris was doing like a pretty good job um, because he knew he'd done so badly. So he kind of had to like make up for it and win it for him there. But then he did so poorly on that, that it just doubled down on it. And then he had no chance. Yeah. And the thing was, it was, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to uh, what David said in the web confessional. Cause I, I noticed the same thing that Chris had to push him through the water. Okay. We already talked about that. Uh, he did terrible in the rings. You mentioned that. But he also wasn't even helping with the snake. Yeah. So, you know, he was just kind of hanging around in all the wrong positions and doing everything wrong. He basically served as an anchor to drag them down at every single point in that challenge. Yeah, the snake thing is interesting to me because it was mentioned so much in the secret scenes, like as much as the ring toss, which he like clearly really impeded them on and the swimming, mm-hmm. which he was really bad at. And I think it's just... I think they were offended that he wasn't trying harder because like if Keith is kind of carrying the snake, does it really make so much of a difference? Like it was more, I think the effort than the result there with the snake. And I think you kind of have to look like you are, you know, I'm sure he was giving it 110%, but he kind of needed to look like he was even more involved than he was. Cause that seemed to upset a lot of people that they thought he was just kind of, you know, not doing anything on that part. Yeah. Well, when I saw it on, you know, when I was watching, he wasn't even in the right position. Like he was hanging on the cage nowhere near the snake, at least at one point. And, you know, I guess when it's that heavy and that bulky and difficult, I would say you need all hands on deck for that. So I I think it's a combination of, I I do think he could have helped. And even if he couldn't have, like you said, he needed to appear to be trying to help. Yeah. I think a lot of people took issue with the fact that like when he was voted out, he basically made a comment about how they're still, you know, not going to win challenges. And like, 
I agree that well, Manu seems yeah. weaker anyway. And also, you know, to be against Joey Amazing, like they shouldn't have had Reem and Keith. Like they just seem like a much weaker tribe. Um, and I don't think that this is going to help them win. But at the same time, you can't you know, fault them for trying to at least make the tribe stronger to try and win. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had a chance if they had someone who could throw rings. Yeah. There was they were not so far behind. They could have come back. They could have won this challenge, except he was throwing rings and, there, you know, he hit zero of them, I believe. Yeah, and I'm not not going to go on so much about Joe's incredible challenge ability, but <laughs> but like honestly, he's lost I think three tribal immunity challenges, one of which was thrown in his entire Survivor career. Um, he tends to win a lot. Poor Kelly Wentworth was put on two starting tribes against him, you know, for two seasons in a row. And these challenges tend to have a component where someone can step up. It, like last episode, it was many components where one person could do it and Joe was doing all of it. And I just don't mm. think that Chris, you know, he does well, but there's no one to really match Joe to do any of those things. So whether it's going to be a puzzle or a ring toss or any of those things, he's going to step up to do it. And I, I mean, I could be proven wrong, but I'm never, ever betting against Karma because I think that he can get them there every time. Yeah, that was uh, that was something that both Jessica and I did wrong in our you know predictions for who was going to be the first boot. You know, looking back, it's like why would I have picked someone on Joe's tribe? Yeah. Um, but you know, we haven't gotten to our predictions for this week, so who knows how that's going to go? Well, I predict that Kama will win. <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> so, so with all of this going on, the interesting thing is that voting out the week in this case, Keith, also helped the War Dogs plan because, you know, as we've already talked about, he wanted to keep Kelly around as both a target and a shield for himself. But there's a flip side to the argument, which is that the tribes won't stay this way for much longer, presumably. And that so it's better to have loyal people around you when the swap happens. The thing is, though, it's even better if you can avoid going to tribal council and have loyal people. So, you know, voting out Kelly doesn't help if they end up losing the next challenge and they have to vote out someone who's actually loyal next time. And then as you brought up, he's already shown he's not going to be loyal no matter what he says. So it's kind of a combination of things there. Yeah, I think that they don't really trust Wendy or Keith. Um, Wendy hasn't voted with them, obviously, every time, and Keith has shown that he just is going to go where the going's good. So, I mean, if I were them, I would be thinking that no matter what Keith says, like, why would he not slip at a swap? You know, he's obviously on the outs. He's mm -hmm. obviously, like, last in, so first out. And if I were Keith, I would slip, probably, because he has no home there. So I don't think that they trusted him enough. If he was so loyal to them to the point where it could cover his challenge liability, I think they would keep him around because that's, that is, as David said, worth more than money in the game to have someone so loyal to you. But Keith wasn't super loyal. So again, it's just those deficiencies in major areas that was just like, why keep him? Right, right. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
All right. We have reached the end of the rules here. So before I do my wrap up, do you have any final thoughts about Keith? I do. All right. He started the game as a social outcast and his eventual attempts to be loyal came across as self-serving rather than necessary. He advocated to the wrong players and for players looking for either a shield or an irrationally loyal player, not to mention a strong challenge competitor, he didn't provide a viable option. In the discussion of loyalty versus challenge performance, he didn't really provide in either regard. And that is why Keith lost for now. (laughs) For now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, to me, the obvious answer here is that, well, the obvious answer, not just to me, is that Keith was, quite frankly, terrible at challenges and the tribe needed to get rid of him to at least try to win the next one. But it does go a little beyond that because sometimes weaker challenge players can stick around as David himself was able to do in the first season. But David was good at the most important aspect of this game, strategy. Keith tried, but he simply was not up to the task and he got out schemed. The more I consider this, I chalk a lot of this up to Keith being only 19 and not worldly enough. He came into the game saying he had a lot of experience dealing with people because he was an RA for a year. And that's a resident advisor if they don't have those in Australia. Mm. Uh, and, and sorry, but that's, that's not a lot of experience. Compare that to a guy who was in the armed forces, played professional poker for a couple of years, and now is in law school. That is a lot of experience dealing with people. And in part because of that, Wardog was able to use that experience to bend the will of the tribe towards what he wanted and away from keeping Keith. Whether it's because of his age alone or lack of experience in the real world, Keith overestimated not just his social experience, but apparently also his swimming experience. Again, I'm not picking on him for being young, but almost every player has their flaws. And he was the weakest challenge player He never created the social or strategic capital to balance out that weakness. And that is why Keith lost. Yeah, I'm just thinking as you were saying that, that it's amazing to me that David Wright is now like part of the cool kids. (laughs) Like the group that's like better at challenges and stuff. Like what a graduation. I honestly think he's had such a great start to the season, the best of any of the returnees. And yeah, he's looking really good. Yeah. And, you know, I think. I think you said something in the uh, pre in your preseason podcast about David, and we said the same thing, which was if he gets past the first vote, they're all in trouble. Yeah, and not even that, but he is in a really good spot, and it's yeah, people just like him. I think that's what I said. It's all right. about people really just like him as a person. And I think that when we were looking at it, we were wondering how he was going to make it past those first few votes. Well, firstly, he seems to be doing way better in the challenges. Like I was so proud in the first episode where he was the first across the balance beam. Um, But anyway, but beyond that, I think he's just so socially connected, which is just integral to the entire game. So he's having an amazing run, but poor Keith, like I said last time I was on this podcast, how bad I feel just listing out the flaws of the contestants (laughs) and it could not be worse than with Keith. It was like a sweet baby lamb. So Keith, you're you're absolutely a sweetheart and I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's the job, you know? So uh, the next part of the job is predictions. And when I was looking to see, okay, what, how am I going to figure this out? At first, I thought the previews mo- weren't uh, much use to us because they focused so much on the ridiculous Keith decision or indecision. Uh, and with almost all the rest looking at Wendy's injured ankle, which looks pretty bad. 
if we use the strategy uh, that came up last season, which uh, someone on Twitter called something like Hubicki's Law, uh, which means if you're mentioned in the preview, you're safe. It, it's only if you're not mentioned that you could be in trouble. Then it raises the question, well, does that mean this is the time that Kelly gets the boot? And initially, I continued in my thinking, which you've already said you're going to continue in your thinking that Kama would not go to tribal council before a swap. And I had all my notes typed up, you know, to go down that path. But then I was talking to a fellow survivor fan at a poker game. And the more I talked it out, the more I realized, well, maybe the previews are helpful if we look at them in terms of what they aren't saying. If they only told us about Wendy's ankle and we continue with the idea that they never tell us what's actually going to happen, that means it can't be someone from Manu because I don't see a situation where they lose and they keep the injured player who is already at the bottom. So with that in mind, I'm going to go against all wisdom <laughs> and I, I'm and against what I previously said and say that Kama will lose. Wow. Yes. And if that happens... There has only been one clear storyline through the first two episodes. And as much as it saddens me to say it, I'm going to predict that Aubrey gets voted out next. Well, that would break my heart. But I would think that the reason we've only seen one storyline is because they'll never go to tribal. Like kind of like in Cambodia, where we buy on, we only heard about Steven. Well, they like never went to tribal in that iteration. So that's why I would think that Um, I will never bet against Kama while Joe is on the tribe. <laughs> so I'm kind of this, this continuation of the Wentworth versus Wendy war, which I'm calling the Wendy worth war, which makes it sound like not as dramatic as, you know, it should be. But when I'm looking at the numbers of Wendy versus Wentworth, um, something really interesting that Wardog said in this episode was that he and Chris are making the decision. So I do feel like maybe where Chris is slotting in as kind of like a second to Wardog, maybe if David and Rick are a bit of a pair, maybe Chris and Wardog are more of a pair than we've seen. Because um, I do think Chris could kind of be the swing vote here. I think David and Rick would want to go with Wendy. And I think obviously Wentworth, Lauren, and Wardog would want to go, you know, on the Wentworth side. And then where would Chris go? I do think Chris maybe would go with Wardog. He obviously couldn't even save Keith here, who he seemed closer to, you know, in favor of Wentworth. So I still think, you know, add in the injury that we saw in, in the, maybe I'm just being completely duped by the next time on, but I just don't see how she makes it through the episode. And maybe she'll be medivaced and someone else will get voted out, but I just don't think it's looking good for Wendy. Yeah. And, you know, if, if I felt like I could take the previews at face value, then I would agree with you. And that's, you know, where I was going, but they just, they, they just keep doing it. Now, once in a while, they'll slip in one where they actually tell us the truth. Maybe this is that one. Um, but, but it is interesting. I, uh, despite Jessica not being able to make it today, I made sure Now I didn't tell her anything, you know, about what I was going to do, but I made sure that she passed along her prediction. And she said that similar to both of us, she can't see the Manu tribe keeping Wendy with an injured foot, although it is survivor and people sometimes do crazy things, but she came to the same conclusion that I did that Kama may lose the challenge. And she also worries that Aubrey seems to be unable to sway her tribe mates, trust her. So she is also picking Aubrey and she's doing this partially in the hopes that because she's always wrong, <laughs> that means Aubrey will stay. 
Yeah, I mean, no matter what happens with Aubrey, that montage this week was so, so damaging. Um, hard, I think, to like for that to be part of her winner package, you know, like the montage yeah, of her no, saying the same yeah. thing to everyone, um, which really pains me. You know, I don't want to have to, and especially if she's going to be there the whole time and then just have no shot of winning in the edit, that would be painful because we already had it in Game Changes. You know, she was there the whole time and it was just impossible that she would win because we didn't see her. This is a really negative edit, you know, off the bat. So, look, I hope that she can have some sort of ascendancy because two seasons in a row of Aubrey either, you know, not doing well or not being a factor in the edit or not being a viable winner candidate is painful. Like, she's way too good a player and way too good a character to be wasted like that. Yeah, she even said in a web confessional, I think I'm overplaying a little bit. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, seems to be the general opinion. Yeah, and it's strange to me because I do feel like that tribe should have her people. Like, Victoria seems like she should be like what Lauren is to Kelly Wentworth, you know, but I did notice that, like, when they came on the boat, it was very much like, oh, my God, Kelly and Joe and Aubrey and David weren't really getting the love off the bat. Mm-hmm. I think that this, these types of players all seem to have a really similar level of fandom. Like, there were very few, like, extreme super fans, I think. But a lot of people who've been watching since the beginning, you know, what I like to call maybe, like, hardcore casuals or, you know, day one casuals or whatever, who love the game but aren't necessarily loving players like Aubrey or David. So it seemed pretty set up for someone, you know, like a Joe. Um, and I hope Aubrey can turn it around. And if karma never go to, to a tribal council, it would just be Joe saving another one of my favorites. I remember how thankful I was for him for Bayon not going to tribal council and Steven getting a second shot at life in the game. So if he does that to Aubrey, I might have to like actually make a shrine for Joe. Well, you mentioned, you know, the players uh, being in, you know, the, the new players and the way they're reacting. Ron had a web confessional in which he said he will literally never vote against Joe. Wow. He believes yeah, he believes that at some point uh Joe will lose a challenge in, you know, after the merge and other people will do it. But Ron will not vote against Joe and other people can vote him out and they'll be the ones who are hated by America, not him. Yeah, I mean that is something to think about if you think about like how much Abby Maria and even Wentworth were destroyed by the public after voting out Joe in Cambodia. I'm sure Wentworth like doesn't really want to go through that again. I know she would do yeah. it, but she's probably as she's passing that vote, she's probably just saying like America, please don't hate me. Please right, stay off my right. social media. <laughs> like it's a hard thing yeah. to do. I could see her doing that while voting, saying that, and of course they won't show us that vote. But yeah. yeah. No, if Wentworth ever votes out Joe, I think she's just shutting down Instagram and Twitter. Like you can't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we've uh, wrapped things up here, but before we go, I want to talk to you about something outside of this Survivor season, but a topic still near and dear to your heart, and that is some activity of this past week related to the most recent season of Survivor South Africa. Uh, And and of course, for anyone uh, who hasn't seen it on social media, I'm talking about an MMA-type fight between Tom and PK. Yeah, never don't say that Survivor South Africa is super extra, not super extra. It's it's a crazy show. It's obviously a crazy country. It's also been like literally months since it ended last August. So why now in March is this a thing? I like that people still care enough for this to be relevant, but this is also complete insanity. Yeah. So for anyone, well, I mean, if you didn't see the show, you have no idea what we're talking about. But these two players got into a shouting match. They were opposed to each other the entire game. And they got into a shouting match where both basically said that they would kick each other's ass if they fought. 
But of course, neither of them was going to lay a hand on the other on the show because, well, they would have gotten kicked out. One of the few things that's against the rules. So I, I don't know how the backstory of how this fight came together, but just watching it, I thought it was pretty funny that it happened. Yeah, I mean, this all started from PK calling Tom's nether regions a little white deal, which is something <laughs> that was a major plot point of the show. Like, again, if you haven't watched Survivor South Africa, this is the kind of gold you're missing out on. Um, and uh, two of the best characters, I think, in Survivor history, Tom is a madman. PK is my favorite. And the fact, and they all came, like the whole cast was there to like watch this fight. I mean, could we settle like all Survivor <laughs> disputes through history through this? Can we get like an MMA challenge happening? We'll have Johnny Fairplay versus Rupert. We'll do, you know, Sandra versus Russell. I put all my money on Sandra, by the way. Like, I think oh, this yeah. could be a oh, really yeah. fun activity. Yeah. And so I'm going to give a, a very short spoiler warning here for anyone who doesn't want to know who won this fight. We're not talking about who won the show, <laughs> but who won the fight. Fast forward a little bit. Okay. Tom kicked PK's ass and I loved it. No, just I hate watching that. It. No. Well, I'm sorry. I just thought it was, I thought it was hysterical because Tom, of course, is older and, you know, PK was so sure that he could, he could beat up Tom and <laughs> Tom just pretty well wiped the floor with him yeah well i mean tom has had enough winning for one man you know <laughs> let pk have something poor pk you know lost at every turn in survivor now in this fight just just let the man live please <laughs> all right so uh yeah the timing on having that happen and having you here had to bring that up yeah and there's a new season starting may 16th as well so a lot of time to catch up and around when edge of extinction is ending survivor south africa will be starting which is perfect timing it is perfect timing. I, I don't like Survivor off-seasons, and I very much enjoy when the international Survivor gives us no off-season. Yeah. So. All right. So as we uh, wrap things up then, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter, where, Shannon, you are? At Shannon Gates, G-A-I-T-Z. Hey, you said Z instead of Z. I know. I'm trying to <laughs> change my habits for my American audience. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh jessica is at jessica lewis 89 and i am at david bloomberg make sure to follow all of us because even when shannon is not guest co-hosting she has great insights into the game which is why she's the first person i call on when we need a guest co-host oh thanks david <laughs> so uh also uh, listeners should be sure to check out the rhap patron program by heading over to robhasawebsite.com slash patron to help support all the RHAP podcasts. Take a look at the various Patreon levels and find out what kind of perks you can get. Uh, there's special podcasts, videos, buffs, spells, you name it. Uh, again, that's robhasawebsite.com slash patron. And my favorite perk is the patron Facebook group where I am there, Jessica is there, you are there. So, you know, once a listener gets there, make sure to say hello to all of us. Definitely. And I was just lucky enough to even be in New York and in America and meet some of the patrons, which was really, really fun. It's just an incredible global community. It is. And I get so jealous when things like that happen because nobody ever comes to America and says, I'm going to visit central Illinois. <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't happen uh, with and, and there's a good reason for that. I understand it, but it doesn't <laughs> stop me from being jealous. So Yeah, it wasn't exactly on the list. But, you know, I'm the one in Australia so far away, missing all the know-it-alls. So, I mean, I think I'm the most jealous, but at least I That's got to true. meet some really great people, which was so fun. 
Yes. All right. It is time for a hashtag. I have one possibility. Do you have any? Um, I thought maybe hashtag Wendy Worth War, which is what I've titled it. Um, that's all I got, though. Wendy Worth War. Can you spell that? Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, Worth, W-O-R-T-H, War, W-A-R. Uh, I've had some trouble in the past with spelling hashtag, so I try to think it through. <laughs> All right. My only idea was stupid cliffhanger, but you know, well, uh, well, I, it was it, stupid. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, people can use either of those. Uh, yours is clever, cleverer. Um, mine is more blunt. Yeah. And, I and mean, a, I think yeah. they know what we think of the twist by the end of this podcast. Oh yeah. And of course there's the hashtag for this podcast overall, which is YX lost. Uh, everyone should make sure you're getting all the survivor commentary you can handle by subscribing to all the RHAP survivor podcasts at Rob has a podcast.com slash survivor or on your favorite podcatcher. We are also on the reality TV rehab ups feed. And in both places, you can find all the RHAP content from the know-it-alls, the wiggle room, the B and B much more. And uh, they added, as a matter of fact, Rob added a brand new uh, podcast this week in survivor, which has this week in survivor history and also talks about social media and other things going on. So that, that has two episodes under its belt and I've really enjoyed listening to that one. Yeah. So with that, thanks to Scott St. Pierre for the editing on all the Y blank lost podcasts. Thanks as always to will from America for the theme song and a special thanks to you, Shannon, for joining me here once again. No, thank you for having me. All I had to do was sell my soul to insult poor Keith, but I did have a really good time. <laughs> From now on, I'm only inviting you when there are really nice people to criticize. Yeah, don't don't call me when it's David's podcast, by the way, if he loses. <laughs> only if he wins. <laughs> I, I don't think Jessica would miss that, either of those, for anything. So. Yeah, well, I was thinking maybe she wouldn't want to do it if he loses. You might have to call well, someone else who's not so connected to David. Have to go down my list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Jessica, she will be back next week. And so we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Lost survivor and you're feeling down. David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and we'll show you how. You played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.